Good morning. I am Vincent Hoppy. Welcome to Grace and Peace Church. I am the pastor here. If I have not met you, I would like to meet you. So please come hang out with me. Also, some of the, some, one of the things that Grace and Peace is about, our, our, our biggest thing is that we are people who bring the healing renewal of the gospel, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ into all areas, especially this fractured and broken world. It is not the way it ought to be, and we can confess that, right? Not the way it ought to be. Uh, but so we've been talking about these values of grace and peace, the things that we want to be about. And so today we are going to be talking about my life verse, John 1.20, I am not the Christ. But this is to lead us into a discussion of our value about humility on the journey. Humility on the journey. And what does this mean about grace and peace then, this humility on the journey? Hopefully grace and peace is a place where it is okay and it is safe to have doubts. You can wrestle with them. You can express them. Uh, hopefully I am a person who is open and accessible to, to your doubts, your wrestlings, your serious objections. Please come and let me know and we can work on them together. I, don't, I do not pretend... To have all the answers. I can't pretend that. I, I am not the Christ. I don't have all the answers. And I'm not going to say it perfectly either. I, I, don't, I can't do that. Hopefully grace and peace is also a place where you don't have to, have to uh, hide. Hide beneath, shame, hide your shame. Hide your sin. Hopefully you find grace and peace is a place where you can let people know. Let people in. Let people wrestle with doubts that you have. You know, we're not expected to have all the answers. And I think that was one of the biggest problems with the culture wars. When we think about how Christianity postured themselves against everybody else. Trying to protect themselves. I think there was a lot of insecurity. Insecurity about position. Insecurity about their, how much they knew. Insecurity about all the answers that they gave. And so what did they do? They became prideful. Said, I've got all the answers. You, you guys are idiots over there. In Christianity... which I'm a part of, we have to say we did a bad job of representing Christ. And it's because we did not confess like what John did. John gives us a model, a way forward. John John is basically in a culture war of himself. He is out in the wilderness. He is going against the tide, against the temple, against the Romans, and he is out there leading people back to repentance so that people would prepare their hearts. He t- they would take on ceremonial washings from John in order that people would, can go back in and they would be prepared for the Christ. But he confesses and does not deny. He confesses and does not deny. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Savior John the Baptist says. And so this is hopefully a way forward for people like us who maybe can't fake it anymore. You're too tired of putting on a veneer, a facade. You want to come with real doubts. You want to be with people who want to wrestle for real. People who don't have to hide their sin and shame behind self-righteousness and live actually humble lives. And to be kind to those who are outside, who don't hold the same beliefs as us. But we can be kind, gracious, and generous, even in our disagreements. We can be people who are so secure in Christ that we don't have to fake it and have all the answers. And John the Baptist is our model. 
He, he, notice he isn't saying, you know, he, he confesses, I am not the Christ. And it's a confession, not a denial. It's not a simple, oh, who, who, me? <laughs> no, you know, I'm not the Christ. As if, you know, like there's some hint of, of, you know, possibly he might be the Christ. He's kind of wrestling with it because he's really cool. Lots of people are following him. He's wearing, you know, sackcloth. He's, he's wearing like, like a camel hair, which is probably really scratchy. And he's out there baptizing people. You know, a lot of people are coming. And it's so much so that the people in power are like, hey, we've got to check this guy out. So they come and check him out. They're like, what is he doing? How is he getting all these people to follow him? But he disavows himself in order to embrace the reality that he isn't more than Jesus who is the Christ. The Christ is a word that means anointed one in, in, in Greek or in Hebrew. It would be Mashiach or Messiah. And the expectation was, was for this Messiah, this Christ to come from God who would come in the line of David that would be the king to lead them to victory over the Romans, to lead them out, to set things right. He was like a Moses figure, but better. He was going to lead an exodus. He's like a David figure, but sinless. And we see these promises in 2 Samuel 7. Psalm 110, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. But we also see in Isaiah chapters 42 through, 40 through 53 that this figure will suffer for his people. He will take the sins of the people. He'll take it on himself. So when John confesses, he says, I can't be that one for myself. I am not the Christ for myself. And we, that should be our confession too, and that you can't be that for other people. You can't put that expectation on yourself that you're the Christ. You just can't do it. When that, that is our confession, that I am not the Christ. We can be humble to outsiders. We can be kind to those in our houses. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to save our workplaces. We don't have to save our kids. We don't have to save our parents. The pressure is off. Because you are not the Christ. And oftentimes we live our lives putting ourselves on a performance treadmill, heaping on our backs, you know, this giant responsibility that I have to be something great, something grand, something extraordinary to provide for everybody. And it just it makes us want to cry in my bed at night and sit in fetal position. Why? Because it's too great. It'll destroy you. But that's our default mode of our hearts, isn't it? That we want to take on the responsibility, that we think we're greater than ourselves, that we think we have to be extraordinary. And we do this either religiously or irreligiously. But it's all showing that we are yearning for a Christ. And oftentimes it is showing that, that I believe way too much about myself. We turn ourselves into these little saviors and for our own little worlds. A good example of this was in the movie The Red Violin. The Red Violin follows the story of a violin that was last made, but it was made with the blood of the violin maker, and it continues on this journey, this violin. And it goes to this part where it ends up in the, in, in the storehouses of an abbey, and the abbey are giving it to these little orphan boys who start playing violin. And it goes through the ages until it ends up with one little boy named Casper Weiss, and he is a prodigy. I mean, he is lighting it up. I mean, it is awesome to watch. And he is 
a great performer. So much so that they tell about this man who comes in and he adopts him so that little Casper Weiss would be able to perform in front of the king and become a musician for the king in which this man who adopts him would have the money and security to continue in his lifestyle. And so this father figure who adopts him puts on the metronome and Casper Weiss faster, plays faster and faster, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, one thirty seconds. He is faster and faster and faster. And he is better than everybody. And he, the pressure is mounting and he goes in for his recital and there young Casper in his performance is acting like the Messiah for this father figure. And the father figures looking at little Casper, here is my savior. He's going to make things all right. And Casper, before he can even bring his bow to the strings, dies. His Messiah dies for this old man. They lose everything. And I think that's, a lot, that's for a lot of us. We've been jaded. We see our saviors dying. We think that by myself and my performance, I could make a way for my world. We think that this person is going to make a way so that things are right. So how in the world are we to exhibit humility in the world? We need to confess three things. We need to confess three things. One, I am not the Christ. Two, you are not the Christ. And three, Jesus is the Christ. Three confessions. So first, I am not the Christ. This is the confession that I am too ill-equipped to save myself, let alone the world. You confess that, and I, you confess that I am not able to achieve for myself. I am not able to prove myself. I am not able to save my family, to save my children, to save myself, to save my workplace. It is the confession that God has made me a finite creature, that I can only do so much, that I cannot put on my back enough weight. I cannot have enough responsibility. I can't have too. I can't. I can't have too much responsibility. I am just a human. So John, he's a celebrity of his time. People are flocking to him. He's in the wilderness. He's baptizing them, which is a ceremonial washing, and he's doing it outside of the temple, which should shock everybody. You know, he's preparing a way for this Messiah. He has popularity. He has power. He could let it get to his head. People trust him. People follow him, but when they ask him directly. He refuses to say, I am the Christ. He says, I'm not. And so when we confess that I am not the Christ, or when, when we confess that I'm not the Christ, we're pushing back on two ways of trying to be the Christ. We're pushing on religious ways of trying to be the Christ and irreligious ways of trying to be the Christ. So the religious way is by covering up our shame or insecurity about ourselves through our theology our apologetic answers, our knowledge of, of sacred and scriptural books. We can cover it up by the way we lead. We can cover ourselves up by the happy face we put on whenever we're trying to hide the ugly things. We come into church, people ask you, how you doing? I'm fine. But at home, it's terrible. 
You know, we'll come to worship, not to worship, but to cover up the things that we're afraid to have others find out. We're trying to balance the, the, the ledger in our, in, our, in our favor. We're not worshiping God, but we're using God as a band-aid at this moment. Maybe if I go to church enough, God will approve of me. If I go to church enough, I will have good things happen to me during the week. That's our thought. In all this, it is all down to our effort. It's down to how much we do, how often we go to church, how many times we confess, the, the happy face I could put on. Put on. But, but is that true? Is that the way it works? Instead, John leads us and shows us when we confess that we're not the Christ, we confess that, that the sickness runs a lot deeper and we cannot possibly fix it. Not even going to church can fix this. We need a heart transplant. We need a heart change, and only Jesus can possibly do that. That's what we confess, that it is outside of my power. It's outside of my religious power to do that. And then there's the irreligious way. The irreligious way is the way of being free from any authority to tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. I need to be true to myself is what we'd say. It sounds like the Invictus poem by William Henley, which declares, I am the master of my fate. I am the master of my soul. It is self-sufficient. It is autonomous. It is me being me. You know, you tell your friend, you be you, do your own thing. You know, but here's the problem. It's all up to you to prove yourself. You have to carry the weight of the world. Uh, People who are irreligious, they are the ones who have all the pressure on themselves. But notice what I just said. Notice that the religious person and the irreligious person is suffering from the same problem. They're thinking too much about themselves. They think too highly of themselves. The religious person thinks by their religious exercises that they can actually get God on their side. The irreligious person doesn't care about what, whether God thinks, but they have to do everything in order to make the world good enough for them. That they always have to be enough. So the irreligious person and the, and the religious person are both trying to make themselves good enough by their own effort. It is focused on the self. It is a sickness. Both express a love of self or an attempt to save oneself. It is always up to the self to put things right, to write their own story. Both attempt to cover up shame and guilt. And we do that always by keeping our social media profile as the envy of the world. We always have the answer to the hardest questions that our neighbor might have. We're always being dependable. We're never saying no. We're always getting things done. And do you know what? You crash at the end of the day, not because you, can, you actually have to sleep, but you're not because you need to sleep or you want to sleep. It's because you have to sleep. Because you're so stinking exhausted from running the performance treadmill, that you can't, you can't do anything else. And I would say a lot of us are running on this performance treadmill, never knowing when it's going to stop, scared to death. Because we tried too hard to be the Christ. So we virtue signal on social media to prove our ability to love others through activism. But yet at home, we're paralyzed by the fear of letting people down. We're staying up at night, always thinking about what I said and what I did. We're always analyzing, did I do enough? Did I say the right thing? Did I wear the right thing? You know, we're thinking about that when we go to bed. 
And then when others treat us, uh, threaten us in some way, and our righteousness is threatened, we'll always defend ourselves. We'll always say, look at the other things I've done. It was an accident. I didn't mean to do that. As if somehow out here was the problem instead of in here. We'll never have the ability, you know, you'll never have the ability to let anyone down. You'll always have to be irreproachable in this method. Can you imagine living life as if you can never let anyone down? You had to do everything just right, just perfectly. This started in my life when I was probably about age seven. When I realized that, my, that the relationship between my father and mother wasn't exactly the way it was meant to be. And they started yelling at each other, throwing things at each other. I was like, what in the world is this? And so in my little compartmentalized brain as the middle child, I'm like thinking, how do I mediate and get this family back together? How do I keep things nice and steady with my parents? Do you know what I did? I started getting all A's, started being the best at baseball, started knowing everything, started looking down my nose at every idiot around because I was smarter than everybody. And what was I doing? I was super insecure. I was anxious all the time. And so I started faking it. Nobody in the world knew, that what was, knew about what was going on. Why? Because I protected myself through competency. I was competent in everything I did. And so I'm a little kid growing up believing that the only way to save my parents, to save my life, to save this world was for me to be competent. And it was all focused on myself. That was my childhood growing up. It probably explains a lot for you. You know, like, that fence, man, that guy's messed up. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's the way it was. It was always good grades. Good performance in everything. And it was exhausting. And in the end, I ended up, and most people end up, if you're trying to be the Christ, like the old myth of Narcissus who comes by a pool of water and sees the beautiful reflection of himself, although he doesn't know it's beautiful, he sees how wonderful it is and looks deeper and deeper and deeper into the pool until Narcissus is drowned in a reflection of themselves. And that's what being the Christ will do to you. It'll drown you in the water of the self. In the reflection of the self. So when we confess that I am not the Christ, you confess that you can have true freedom. That it doesn't depend on your performance. Your performance doesn't justify your existence. And when it doesn't justify your existence, then you're free to be humble, to be finite, to be unnoticed, to let things go slow, to fail. As a parent... If you try to be the Christ for your child, then you will always feel like you never can fail them. You will always feel like you have to save them, keep them from, from doing anything that would harm themselves. My, a child crawls on a two-foot rock. Oh, Sally, you're going to sprain an ankle. Like, what in the world? But you know parents do that. I'm a parent. I do that. You know? I'm afraid of anything, like, I'm afraid of a fruit loop looking at my kid because I'm afraid they're going to get sugar, too much sugar and die of diabetes. You know, that's how neurotic we are sometimes. We think we have to save our kids. We think we have to be everything for our kids. You know, we think we have to give them the best life. 
to protect them from every scary place, person, or idea. But when that happens, but when they grow up to ignore you, they grow up to resent you, you can't save them because you've pretended to be the Christ too long. What do you do then? I think we've got to confess that we're too ill-equipped to be the Christ for our kids. You can't live with that pressure. You can't die for your kids. Jesus already did that. In evangelism, if you're sharing your faith with a friend who's not a Christian, you don't have to have the perfect answers. You can actually let them see that you too are a sinner. You don't have to be perfect. It isn't up to you. I am not the Christ. I want to do something that's a little weird, maybe. Uh, Close your eyes, and I want you to actually think about you as a little child. And I want you to say, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Here we are. Second point. You are not the Christ. Uh, What this means is not like me pointing at you and saying, you're not the Christ. Well, duh. Um, What this means is that oftentimes we let other people be the Christ for us. This confession is that no one else except Jesus is equipped to save you. Their resume is not going to be good enough. Imagine the person uh, or thing that you have that you use to make you look better, feel better. To Maybe it could be your spouse, your children, your education, your job, your, our, our government, our political party. I want you to imagine not having it, that it disappeared all of a sudden. You feel that anxiety? You feel that, that, that hole in the pit of your stomach? I want you to say to that thing, You are not the Christ. You are not the Christ. John's dad was a priest. He had a good family upbringing. He had position and fame. But he knew that neither of those things could be the Christ for him. None of those things could be the Christ for him. Go ahead. Try making your spouse the Christ for you. You will put them under an insufferable amount of pressure and responsibility that, even, that like one day they will forget to do the dishes and you'll freak out. Because they're not perfect. We need a perfect person to be the Christ. We need someone who isn't going to let us down. You know, do you want to uh, know what your view, uh, that, that you view as the Christ Where do you spend the most time trying to prove yourself? What stresses you out the most? What do you sacrifice to to the most? Is it your job, your appearance, your parenting? Like if I had the perfect parenting record, then it'll be okay. Or if I had the perfect job resume, no one would be ever able to deny me a job. I I, I could have it together. I can have it all can't do that are you looking for someone outside of yourself to justify your existence no one outside of you except for christ can justify your existence can't be your kids your spouse or whatever why because only christ looks at you and says you are worth dying for 
No one else can do that. No one else is capable of doing that. If you do this in sharing your faith, you will look at other people to be the Christ. You'll always judge yourself and your performance based on their answers. They will become projects to you. Imagine the pressure you're placing on yourself to make, someone, uh, se- to make something supernatural happen. You're always looking for that person to come to faith in order that I could be, I could be awesome. I have a story to tell. There's so many places where we are looking for other people, other things, to be it. When I get this job, everything will be wonderful again. Really? That's a lot of pressure on a job. You are not the Christ. Only Jesus is the Christ. In John 1.29, John boldly declares when he sees Jesus coming by, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, the first century, they're waiting for this person to free them from the clutches of tyranny. And John says, here he is. Here is the Messiah. Here is the Christ. Here is the one your heart longs for. The one your heart beats for. This is him. All the expectations, all the weight, all the responsibility can go on him. What he's saying. He comes to take away the sin of the world. He comes to take away your shame. To make the world approvable. To make it justified. You can't do it for yourself. And other things can't do it for you. Notice that in John's declaration. It is not that he has to prove himself. But to simply confess. That he wasn't the Christ. And he confesses Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's in a humble estate. Uh, the writer Paul in, in, the, in the book of 1 Corinthians says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are not qualified enough to save yourself. You can't fake it till you make it because you're never going to make it. You're not good enough. That's what a confession I'm not the Christ says. You can't be everything for everybody else. You're going to let people down. You're not the Christ. Paul will go on to say, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Your standing in the world is not because of your performance, but because of Jesus' performance for you. And when he is your Christ, when he stands before you, when he is your righteousness, when he is your advocate in the courtroom and you're about to be judged, and he says, I've got them, they're mine. 
man, you can be humble. You can't, you don't, you, you don't have to look down on other people. Walk with a limp. You can say, I don't know at this time. Maybe I'm confused. I have my doubts too. I struggle day to day. You can actually ask other people for help. You ever tried that? It is impossibly hard for me to ask other people for help. So, here's the truth. The verdict is in. But it's not based on your performance. It was on the performance of Jesus Christ. You can't do enough, say enough, or be enough. The weight of all those expectations would crush anyone. And the writer Isaiah knew this about Jesus years before. And he says this about the Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. To be the Christ, you have to be perfect, above reproach, to be righteous. You can't be that. And to heap it on anyone else would crush them. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, we know he was crushed under the weight of all our expectation, under the weight of covering up our shame, under the weight of our sin. He took that on himself. Not to look at you guys and sneer and like, look what you did to me. No. He looks at you and says, I love you. And he says, I will cover you. I've got you. Because you're his. Not because of any performance that you did or anything you will do. It's because he loves you. And we know that on the cross. And we know that our shame and sin will not win. And it can't even destroy him. Why? Because we also believe on the third day he rose again. And to bring in a new creation, a new life, a new way of being. Where you and I can be humble and we can confess, I am not the Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, you have met us in your word. And help us to confess the way John the Baptist did, saying, I am not the Christ. Help us to know that you are the Christ. Help us now to confess and embrace you as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who puts all things together, the one whom our heart really needs. We need you, Lord, more than food, more than drink. We need you more than air itself. But you offer yourself to us in this meal. Lord, be here now. 
And may this be our confession that I am not the Christ. I don't have to be everything for my family. I do not have to be the savior of my workplace. I don't have to be the savior of this city. I don't have to be the savior in my home. Because I know the Savior, and His name is Jesus. Let us now, Lord, meet you in this meal. In Christ's name, amen.